um, we have, you know, some of the things not to forget is we have put together a, a, a flyer on um, um, Gerber, not Gerber, but um, AARP and Colonial Pen. Guys, these are things that are in the industry out there. People don't, you know, and what's bringing this up, had an agent yesterday was meeting with a client, and they were compare, wanted us to compare our rates to New York Life. Well, as, as soon as New York Life came out of his mouth, the first thing that popped in my head was AARP sells a product which is terrible because they pay for it, and so many seniors are living past 80 now. It's billed as a final expense plan for seniors, but it's a term product that goes away the day they turn 80. And Colonial Pen sells it, AARP sells it. We have sent these things out numerous times. Guys, put them in your pitch book, have them there, because people believe 10% of what you tell them, but they believe 90% of what you show them and tell them. So have those things with you. Don't forget them because they are so important to you and it will increase your income between 15 and 20% by having those with you. So those are some of the things you just don't forget. Another thing you don't forget, strategize your cases with me before you go. If you're in the home, don't forget to call for help because a lot of times the client hearing something from a person they perceive to be a, an expert in the field Suddenly it has more impact, it carries more weight, it helps you close the sale. The other thing that happens when you call myself or Johnny or Connie or any of us for help, you get to hear our closes. You get to hear how we kind of set things up because the purpose in a meeting with a client is to lead them to the position and the place where they're better by owning your product than not. And you get to see the process on how that takes place. So these are all things that you can learn from because you're here, hearing how we tee something up and you're hearing how we close it. And, and please, whenever, once you've turned the call over to me, don't, don't get in and say anything because you may think I missed something. I'm just looping back around to the point that I can tee it up properly and I don't need your help at that point. Now, at the end of the interview, sometimes I may ask you, I'll say, now, Robert, is there something that you think I should have covered or that maybe we've missed here? Because that's given you three or four or six or eight minutes to kind of think back through. Watch the, the body language on the client. Uh, these are in-home presentations, of mm -hmm. course. Watch their body language and kind of make some mental notes on if I touched a nerve, maybe you want to push a little farther on that. But guys, just remember that there are so many things, not so many, there's a half a dozen things that you just don't want to forget. And those are some of them. So at any rate, uh, I did want to cover for just a moment. Uh, last week I talked a little bit about um, people having a, a higher net worth or liquid assets and them thinking they were protected and they really didn't need any life insurance. And I think I went in the weeds a little farther on that than I needed to. But guys, the people, and, and I'm not talking wealthy people like the Kennedys or anybody like that. I'm talking people that are good, solid, middle-income people that think they have assets that will protect them. And that can pose a real problem because having assets is a false sense of security when it comes to the decision to buy a family expense plan. 
one of the cases I wrote last week, I went through it with a lady, and I really felt like um, she was probably okay. And I told her, I, I pointed out, I said, you've got this, you've got this. I said, unless you just want a little more for nieces and nephews, I think you're all right. She said, well, Dick, I really do want a little more for nieces and nephews. So I wrote an $1,100 case for her for a $15,000 whole life policy because she had a specific purpose and reason for that. Um, the reason people many times that have between a half million and a million and a half in liquid assets um, they fail to take into consideration a nursing home stay. And what happens a lot of times, most of our clients, guys, do not understand that Medicaid will pay a nursing home stay. First off, they think they're going to avoid it. They think they're going to be the ones that don't need it. But statistics tell us 50% of the people over 65, one of the two of them are going to end up in a nursing home for a period of time. Um, and, and frankly, a million dollars in, in liquid assets, um, five or six years in the nursing home will completely deplete that. So taking that into consideration and understanding if they don't have long-term care to protect them from that, and most don't, and the reason men don't buy long-term care is two things. One, they think it's a ticket into a nursing home, and they're not going to buy that ticket. And secondly, the cost. So that is an area that they really do need to protect assets and 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 they fall short on that um, because medicaid will pay the bill but they won't start paying the bills until they've spent down to the point that their surviving spouse is impoverished so that's enough on that today but just so you understand uh, there still is a need there if they have that and that's a good time to call me in onto the uh onto the sale uh today i wanted to focus on uh, I had a conversation with one of our new agents, and I wanted to focus on what it's like being a new new agent, some of the things that they traditionally deal with. Um, first off, I want to explain leads to you because basically what we do is we work leads. The client responded to us for help, and you know, and I, I really want to drive that home for you because we have a tendency to think and believe we're bothering them when we call. Guys, you're not bothering them. They ask for the help. Now, they are going to push back to the point that you think you're bothering them or you think that you know they're not interested or they didn't send this thing back, but that's not the case. So this is the routine we go through. We get leads. We call the leads. We set appointments, and we provide solutions. Guys, it's simple. That's as simple as it gets. Now, we provide several solutions, and I'll go through that with you when we do one-on-ones with you. And the reason we do that is when you give them several solutions, they feel less like they're being sold, okay? Now, these are not cold calls, you know. And I, as I mentioned, some people will lead you to believe that you're making cold calls, but we really we are not. Now, it is our job to make them feel comfortable with the understanding that we have a solution to their problem. Now, a lot of times the wife sends a letter back or calls back in because she's concerned. She knows if he doesn't come home because of a car wreck or heart attack, she's going to lose the house. That's a reality most women live in, and it's not a good one. Uh, the men, on the other hand, think they're bulletproof and nothing's going to happen, and they don't want another bill. But in many cases, it's our responsibility to help them see 
the problems they have, and we have to help define that problem for them. Unfortunately, for most new agents, when you very first start, and this came from my conversation with one of our new agents this week, is the new agents focus on one thing, making a sale, Mm -hmm. you know, and if we can, that's important, making that sale is important, but what I'm here to tell you, and this is what this agent said to me after three weeks of being in the field, I finally came to the realization that everything I was going to, that making a sale was going to be a byproduct of the learning experience. Let that sink in for a minute. Making the sale is going to be a byproduct of the learning experience. And, um, you know, if, if we're focusing on making the sale, guys, that's coming through on the phone. It's coming through in the home when you're there. They, the client realizes, you know, this is more about the salesman than it is me. And, guys, that's not the, that's not the world we operate in. That is not the world we operate in at all. And uh, now we ask some of the questions to help define the problem. But, see, our first sessions on the phone, when we first get on there and start dialing and we get pushed back, one of the, the purposes of being on the phone, yes, it is to set appointment. Yes, it is to make a sale. But more important than that, it's to get comfortable on the phone. And, um, and when I say that, getting comfortable on the phone, you know, for example, if we get somebody on the phone and we're talking to them and we start interrogating them, you know, that gives them a sense of this is all about the agent. You know, and I'll just give you an example. You hit somebody on the phone, hello, John, this is Dick. I'm calling about that mortgage protection. Uh, I'm coming over uh, on Wednesday uh, to bring that information to you. Do you prefer morning, afternoon, or evening? Guys, I'm not going to be here when you get here if you pull a stunt like that on me. Versus, hello, John? Yes. This is Dick Sylvester. I'm following up, calling about your mortgage with SunTrust Bank, about the mortgage protection. Our records indicate that hasn't been taken care of yet. I need a little more information to give you a quote. Do you have just a moment? See, you can tell in the voice this is less about me and the tone and the inflection than it is about the client. It's more about the client. And learning And you're going to have to learn your own cadence, your own tone, your own way of doing it. But I'm just here to tell you there are different ways. And if the way you're using isn't working, call and let me know, okay? But getting comfortable on the phone is extremely important. Learning how to connect with the people. You know, hey, John, you know, just when you make the phone call, that alone, if you say it right, they cannot – I've I've been on with agents, role-playing with them. And I use their name. Hello, George? And they say yes, because if you do it right, they can't res- resist responding that way. Um, learning how to connect with people, you know, during this time, making a sale is important, but building confidence is more important. You know, we've talked about Dave Crocker uh, quite a bit in the past because when David first started, uh, incidentally, he was an uh, Diamond Elite producer last year, and when he first started, he struggled to get on the phone. He spent hours setting 10 appointments up and really struggled his first month to write $6,000 in premium. But he became a student of the business, earned six figures his first year, 
multiple six figures his second year and 306,000 his third year in the business he spends two and a half hours setting his week up and he'll set 20 appointments and now remember his first year he struggled to write six thousand dollars in a month because he practiced what I'm talking about here right now it's not uncommon now for David to go out and write six thousand dollars in a day his confidence level is up he's gotten a skill set that, that are, that's important um, remember that the things you learn in this process you know it's okay to fail you know just don't keep doing the same thing over call for help because the faster you fail it shortens the learning curve because guys we really don't learn a lot when we're being successful it's when we don't we're not successful that we learn so much now there's a lot of resources out here for an agent um, to review in order to develop their strategies uh, on connecting with people Rob Jones has got a great in-home presentation you hear, hear Bill Martin every week OG on the phone doing uh, in-home presentations and uh, overcoming objections and and you can just hear in Bill Martin's voice you want to buy from him Bill wasn't that Bill almost failed in the business when he first started I mean his first weeks out it was pitiful because he was trying to be an insurance agent he wasn't trying to satisfy problems mm -hmm. uh, all my stuff is out there and Pete Beckman has got a lot of stuff as well so these are things that are at your fingertips now practice and this is, came from one of our uh, new agents this week practicing is one aspect of our business that many agents don't take into consideration or they don't think it's important see those of the of you that have been around for a while tell me and be honest were you better on your first appointment that you ran or your tent <laughs> well obviously you're better on the tent because you feel more comfortable you've done it a few times you kind of know what to expect well my question to you is why not make your first appointment with a client your tenth presentation practice before you go one of our managers a number of years ago hired a young man and uh, he made him do 10 presentations to real-life clients his mother his father he did one for us he did one for him his brother he literally took their age creative uh, presentation geared toward them he gets to his first appointment and he had all the numbers prepared this was his 11th time doing it goes through the presentation gets ready to pull the numbers out and realizes he left them at home on the kitchen table no problem walked out to the car got his computer came in did the numbers because he'd already done them he pretty much knew where he was going made the presentation as if it were normal wrote thirty one hundred and seventy eight dollars in premium um, that day made um, a couple grand and by his own admission he said dick if that had been my first appointment instead of my 11th appointment he said I never would have made that sale so guys let's not do our on-the-job training on the job let's do it in practice before we go um, when you're practicing you know at the at the table with the client and that's your first one you're you're really practicing at the expense of your clients um, you know by going and doing these presentations beforehand 
you're doing your on-the-job training not at their expense and stop and think about it you know yes it's at the client's expense you didn't make the sale but it's also at your expense because you paid for the leads it's at the team's expense because we're all pouring into each other you're at and Equus's expense because they paid for the lead. See, we, we've all got a lot invested in getting these people covered with insurance. You know, um, the client took the time to fill the form out. Guys, they expect our best when we get there, and they deserve it. Because stop and think about this for a second. Has this happened very many times in the last 26 years? No, but it has happened several times where the agent because of their inexperience did not make the sale and when they called them back a few weeks a few days or a few weeks later one of the insureds had passed now do you think that surviving spouse is happy that you did not make a sale that you went in ill prepared no they expected our best now that doesn't mean we're going to close everybody but they deserve our best to try to make that happen um, there is one aspect that new agents miss you know someone commented on an interview I conducted this past week that they thought Equus was making money on selling leads and I just want to put put that to rest you know um, an a lead that's a direct mail a lead that Equus sells for sells for between 40 and 50 dollars those leads are costing Equus 80 to 120 dollars to generate so when we go out and we think well I paid for the lead uh, it's okay for me to do what I no, it's not because they've got more invested in putting you in business than you do you know in many cases you're paying 40 or 50 dollars for the lead they've got 70 or 80 dollars of their money over and above your 40 or 50 so you know the client deserves it so does Equus and so do you and your family now why practice why is practice such an important part of any sales position I mean IBM I think a number of years ago had a, a several page presentation that you had to learn word for word and the reason for that practice lessens the tension that you feel and it lessens the tension that the client feels because you're not focused on making the sale you're fo focused on finding a solution I mean who wants to buy something when it's in the best interest of the salesperson you ever been on a car lot where you just knew this guy had to have one more sale to get his quota for the month and he wasn't gonna let you go for any reason he didn't care what he sold you didn't care whether it meant your need or not all he cared about was making that sale you know so we've got to figure out a way so that we it's obvious that it's in the best interest of the client now see the client what they want to know all they care about is how much does it cost and what's in it for me see this is where the question um, plays such an important role in the selling process see if the agent spends time telling the client what the client needs or what the agent is going to do or get for the client all the client hears is yap 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 now for example John's the client John what what do you know about mortgage protection well I know they're going to pay the mortgage off if I die maybe the answer it may be I'm not sure I don't know uh, we had one agent called me uh, last week the client he asked that question the client said well frankly I think it's a ripoff guys don't deal or defend that type of a, uh, a comment but ask a question Amen. don't don't defend it 
say, well, Mary, what makes you feel that way? And more than likely, and, and I can tell because of the age of the client and the age of the client's parents, is they were referring to the old declining term that the banks and the uh, loan companies used to sell, that it was a declining term product, and every time you altered the mortgage or you moved, the insurance went away. Now, it wasn't a ripoff. It just wasn't a very good product. Mm-hmm. Trust me, for the family that had it, and used it because he died, and they had a $100,000 mortgage. It was paid down to $69,212, and the bank wrote a check for $69,212. It wasn't a ripoff to them. Was it a good product compared to our products? No. It was a terrible product, but guys, it wasn't a ripoff. So find out why, whatever their answer is, you never ask that question without asking the question, well, why do you feel that way? Because that's going to really open up where the the problem is and the solution you can put forth there. Another question is, you know, John, if you weren't, if you didn't make it home tomorrow because of a car wreck, you know, what's Mary's plan B to stay in this house? Well, she doesn't have one. See, what this does <clears throat> when you do this, this draws the clients into the planning and the solution you together are going to come up with. See, that decision needs to be based on what their needs are, not ours. See, as we expose the pain for the clients, you know, asking that question, John, if you don't come home because of a car wreck or a heart attack, where's Mary going to live? Guys, they need to think that. They need to be thinking about that. When you're dealing with the senior citizen, you know, if we're not able to help you, whose credit card are we going to use for your funeral? Those are real questions that need to be asked. They they need to understand the pain because once they see the pain, now it's not about buying something but finding a solution so that pain never exists. Now, um, because... If it's in the client's best interest, then the design becomes something that is something that they see. Now, let's assume that um, the client comes up with the idea of, you know, you ask that question, well, I, I, I think it's a rip-off, well, because I can't afford it. It's too expensive. See, if something's too expensive, they think it's a rip-off and say, well, you know what a lot of people in your situation do? They'll cover half the mortgage, which allows them to pay the, cut the mortgage payment of half, which makes it less than rent, and the family gets to stay in the house. Guys, you just now came up with a solution that fits their budget and their need. Wouldn't it be nice if John didn't come home because of a car wreck, the mortgage payment now was less than, less than rent? See, these are ways of asking the questions that expose the pain that allows you to provide a solution to their situation. It now becomes in the client's best interest. When it's in the client's best interest and it's affordable, bingo, you've got a sale. What you're doing is you're making it easier for the client to buy. You know, it's in their best interest. Now, what you've just done through what I just pointed out there, you have single-handedly kept his family in their home. Now, why did they send the letter back to begin with? Guys, don't ever forget this. They sent that letter back for one reason and one reason only. 
if he doesn't come on because of a car wreck or a heart attack, they don't want Mary and the kids to have to move. So if all of your solutions are built around that problem, you're going to be successful in our business. Now, unfortunately, Connie, we need to remind ourselves and our agents and our clients of that every time we go out. So, now, how did how did we get where we are with, with what I just – how did we get to this point where we're satisfying their solution? Well, we got there together because together, them and us, we worked out a solution that fit their budget and their needs. Folks, this is always in their best interest. Now, if we can focus on their best interest, then we're going to be rewarded with the commission. But what you'll find out after you've gotten your first or second or your tenth sale – this is more about the client and satisfying their need and keeping their family in the house. And then at that point in time, we get rewarded. Understand this, 91% of the time in America today, if people do not have mortgage protection insurance, when the primary insurance dies, a primary uh, breadwinner dies, that family is going to lose their home due to foreclosure within the next year. And, uh, and let me share this with you. Uh, I met with a West Virginia banker about a year ago, just before COVID. And um, he wasn't too interested in what we were doing. He was, he was placating me, mm-hmm. leaning back in a chair, well, what do you got to offer? And I made the comment, I said, what happens when you have a foreclosure? And he said, well, it cost us a lot of money. I said, if you could reduce your foreclosure rate by 20 or 30%, what impact would that have on the bank? And he said it would be huge. I said, what's one of the most gut-riching things you have to do? This is a small-town bank, a uh, small-town banker. He grew up with uh, or knew the parents or the kids of most of their clients because they kept all their mortgages in-house. He said, Dick, this is what the end of the the meeting was supposed to have been 30 minutes and 90 minutes later I posed this question because I said I got to go. He said it's the most gut-wrenching thing I do to go out and have to tell somebody battling cancer we have to foreclose on your house because you're not making the payments. And when I pointed out how our living benefits work, he lit up like a Christmas tree because he realized that would eliminate most of the foreclosures that bank would have to have to perform because we would giving them, be giving that family enough money through their uh, living benefits that they would be able to weather the storm and be able to make their mortgage payments for six months to a year, and we would protect the bank and protect the client. Guys, that's what we do. 